0: Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9am for a time of traditional worship or at 11am for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture this evening comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the Olive Grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene, I told you that I am he, Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. And Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the father has given to me? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the time before the kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon, suffering occupation and exile under King Nebuchadnezzar, the prophet Jeremiah heard a message for God's people about their fate and used an illustration of a cup. In some translations, it's referred to as a cup of God's anger, in others, it's referred to as a cup of wrath. Either way, it's not sweet tea. And with that cup comes war, defeat, destruction, anguish, sorrow, and displacement. The people of Judah heard Jeremiah's description of how the cup had been poured out over others, taken in by other nations and other leaders for injustices of the past. Pharaoh of Egypt drank from God's cup of wrath. The Philistines... Tyre and Sidon, the already fallen northern kingdom of Israel, each of them had tasted the cup of God's anger, and Judah was to brace itself for their turn to have the cup of wrath turned against them was coming as well. For Judah, it was because they forgot their true God. Or maybe they tipped a hat to Yahweh, the God of their liberation, but as one of many in a smorgasbord of sacred idols to whom they would pray and pay tribute I don't think I've ever experienced a cup of wrath. There have been times when I've been out to eat in public with my children, and through some predictable shenanigans, I've been known to get myself doused with a glass of soda or ice water as youthful carelessness led to a spill that would introduce frosty liquid to my trousers, giving for all intents and purposes the appearance that I suffer from incontinence. Remembering my baptism with polar plunge pants is not the equivalent of God pouring out a cup of wrath. But I do find it to be bad enough. I definitely wouldn't want to experience the full impact of God's righteous indignation. This is the understanding of the kind of cup that Jesus was about to receive. Not because he had done anything wrong. In fact, through his faithfulness, he acted to receive for himself the cup that belongs to those who forget the God of their liberation. That leads to our first lesson this evening. Jesus didn't hide from the sacrifice that brought salvation. Jesus didn't hide from the sacrifice that brought salvation. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples, and they entered into a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place, because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of the Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him, and now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized what was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Do you have a spot that's a usual spot for you? That people know to find you there, a restaurant or a coffee shop? It's a little like your Norm from Cheers, and everybody there knows your name, During points in my education, people could hunt me down at a specific restaurant or a particular coffee shop if I wasn't in my class. And if they were looking for me, there was a pretty good chance that if they stopped by those locations, they could find me. Maybe you have some home-away-from-home spots in your life as well. Jesus had some of those hangouts, too. He seemed to like to stay with his dear friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany, when he was near Jerusalem, and it allowed for easy access to the temple so he could go and teach. And there was an olive grove, just a short walk from their house, where he liked to go and pray. His followers, several of the people even aligning against him, knew just where they could find him. Judas, we read, knew the place because of how often Jesus had been there with the twelve. It was a place where maybe they'd look up through the branches of the olive trees at the nighttime stars, or studied under the shade of the trees in the day. It's a place where Jesus showed them by example how to pray in unbroken fellowship with the Father. It's a place that they probably joked together and laughed together and formed powerful bonds. Jesus, as well as his tightest circle of Peter, John and James, the sons of thunder, Thomas, Simon the zealot, Philip, Andrew, Jude, Bartholomew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Judas Iscariot, together as master and apprentice. Teacher and students, rabbi and disciples, friend and friends. Judas knew just where Jesus would be. And in John 13, we read that Jesus knew just what Judas was doing. He could have run. He could have changed his plans that evening. He could have left Judas with 30 silver coins in a purse and an unfulfilled obligation to religious authorities, authorities who paid a hefty sum to know Jesus' location where he was isolated and there would be a lower chance of a crowd gathering to resist their evil intentions. Jesus could have changed the course of the entire evening and in so doing changed the course of history and eternity. But he did not. Jesus did not change his path. Knowing full well what it meant, he went right where he could be found. That leads to our second lesson this evening. When denial could spare his life, Jesus chose to save us. When denial could spare his life, Jesus chose to save us. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. And he did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you had given to me. We've been spending a lot of time with these I am statements of Jesus. And when Jesus declares, I am anything, he's certainly giving us an illustration of how we can relate to him, whether it's his bread or light or truth or a vine. These are all important aspects of who we can trust Jesus to be in our lives. But as we discussed early on, I am is also a very important term. Whenever Jesus uses the term I am, it's to identify with Yahweh, the God of Israel. He uses the Aramaic version of a nearly unspeakable Hebrew name for God to proclaim something incredibly powerful about himself. When he says I am, Jesus is stating something of his ontological nature. Though also fully human, Jesus declares that he is one with God the Father, that he is in fact also fully God. He could have denied Judas's betrayal. Judas was already proven to be untrustworthy based on his actions. If he'd offered to betray his rabbi for money, wouldn't he also betray the religious elite for their money? Certainly the seeds of doubt were already implanted in the minds of the high priest. If Jesus had simply denied his name, I am not Jesus of Nazareth, he might have escaped and flipped the act to the detriment of Judas. And had he not answered with, I am. He wouldn't have reinforced the fears of those who were hunting him down to hurt and kill him. He denied nothing. He didn't deny his name. He didn't deny his origins. And he did not deny his divinity. His integrity in that moment was going to cost him. But it was a price that Jesus was prepared to pay because we would be the beneficiaries of his selflessness. We were on his heart from the moment that creation was sung into being and breath was gifted into lifeless form to the heartbreak of creation's fall when a lack of trust triggered the falling dominoes of pain, sorrow, strife, death, and condemnation to enter into the world to the moment when perfect love stepped down from the glory of heaven to be born into a feeding trough in the desert up to this moment when Jesus' death was imminent. We have been on his heart, and we would not be left alone. We would be rescued. And that leads to our third lesson. When a battle could have freed Jesus for a moment, he chose to free us for eternity. When a battle could have freed Jesus for a moment, he chose to free us for eternity. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed the ear. Of the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Jesus and the twelve were sharing a meal as part of the celebration of the festival of unleavened bread. If it bears any resemblance to some of our understanding of the Passover Seder shared today, each participant has the potential to drink up to five glasses of wine over the course of a long, lingering meal. We can't know for certain that Peter was feeling the liturgical wine equivalent of beer muscles, but he was certainly being impetuous here. There was something, someone, he wanted to preserve, and he hadn't seen the pattern that we are able to see in retrospect. Jesus didn't need protection. He didn't need a battle fought for him. He didn't try to avoid this fate. He was protecting us. He was about to fight a battle for us and he was walking with determination towards the cross and he was going to take on all the wrath of the consequences of faithlessness and selfishness and greed and disease and sin and fear and hate. He was going to take that cup and all of its bitter content upon himself so that it would be shattered and be poured out no more. Jesus spent that night telling us how God would act Use this act of courage and sacrifice to redefine what it meant to receive the cup of God forever. God's cup was no longer a cup of wrath or anger. Through the faithful sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it became a cup of reconciliation, forgiveness, renewal, and life. For us, it's a cup of unity, not division. A cup of restoration and not destruction. A cup of healing and not pestilence. A cup of freedom and not burden and how I wish I could share communion with you right now. But when we do, when we do share communion again, we'll know the cup that we share has been transformed completely by a battle that Jesus has fought and won on our behalf. And we are transformed completely by the battle that Jesus has fought and won for us. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you for the incredible sacrifice, the incredible humility that Jesus has shown for us, that you would offer yourself to experience anguish and pain so that those things that lawlessness, thoughtlessness, carelessness, brokenness would earn us would not fall entirely upon us but instead we receive gifts of mercy, forgiveness, renewal, grace, and new life. That the ledger of wrongs that have been weighed against us would be wiped clean and we would owe that debt no more because it's been paid in full by Jesus. Lord, thank you for that incredible gift that is the power to bring us out of darkness and into light. God, on this day when we remember that sacrifice... What Jesus has endured and offered for us, let us offer ourselves in grateful response through faith, through trust, through love. All these things we ask in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.